Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Yvonne is entering her 26th week of pregnancy, and um, it was at 26 weeks when uh, Joshua was in the womb that she ended up in the hospital with preterm labor, and uh, it was a pretty scary time for us uh, as doctors were coming and telling us, you know, if your son's born today, here's his reality, and obviously God was faithful, and Joshua turns five this week. Um, but if you could just be praying for Yvonne, that God would prevent preterm labor. Uh, we prefer not going through that again, but uh, know God's faithful. I would really appreciate that. Uh, let's just uh, pray again right now. God, we thank you that you are faithful. As we look back, God, on our lives and our stories, Time and time again, God, we could see how you've been faithful, how you've showed up when things were scary and unknown. And God, I just pray for us right now, God, as we open up your word. God, may we have confidence in your word. May it speak to us. May it call out to us in our fear and call us back to you in faith. And God, I just want to tell you that I just put my full confidence in you right now. God, may you speak through me. And uh, we, just, we just want to know you, God. And uh, we just give this time to you and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, growing up, our, our family had an annual tradition where we'd go on a vacation, uh, often during the summer. And we had different places we would go to around the U.S., take a road trip. One of our favorite places, though, was Estes Park, Colorado. Has anybody ever been to Estes Park, Colorado? There's a few here. It's kind of at the base of the Rocky Mountains. It's a, a, a magnificent place to be. And whenever I'm in the mountains, I just have those moments of just sheer awe and God's glory and his bigness and his greatness. And one of the the features of the Rocky Mountain National Park is this road called Trail Ridge Road. And it's this road that, it's up in the mountains. It's uh, over 11,000 feet for eight continuous miles, which is the longest roadway of its type in the the U.S. And it's, uh, as you're going up the mountains, going through the switchbacks, some places have like that guardrail around it. Other places do not. So if you go off the road, you're going to fall thousands of feet to your death. There's one place on the road that it's, it's a two-lane road, and it's, it's very narrow. And there's only a couple feet either way to the edge, and it's just a sheer drop-off. And so I love being in the mountains, but one thing about me is I am pretty scared of heights, So one year, our family is driving on Trail Ridge Road, and I wish I could tell you I was five years old, but that would be a lie. I was probably like 12 years old, and as we're going up the mountains, I'm in the back seat, and uh, instead of looking out in the windows and enjoying the scenery, my fear is bubbling up within me. 
And I am in like this moment of terror. When, I, when I'm in a car, the fear grows stronger. I feel out of control. And so my family will never forget this because I, I lay down in the back seat. I was so scared. I couldn't look out the window. And it got so bad that I started yelling out to my dad who was driving. And I said, Dad, why are you trying to kill me? I'm too young to die. And just cries of fear and terror. And here I am in one of the most beautiful places in all the world. And I'm lying on the floor crying like a little baby. Fear. Fear is one of our core struggles as human beings. It is one of the most combative and destructive emotions in in our spiritual lives. It keeps us from experiencing the true life that God has for us. There's a reason why in the Bible, over 365 times, God says, don't be afraid. Fear not. Do not worry. God knows that we as human beings will be in this constant struggle against our fear. This morning, as we look at this familiar text where Jesus walks on water and Peter joins him on the water, we're going to see that the disciples were in this moment of fear. And Jesus is inviting them to trust him in the midst of their fear. When we talk about faith, I mean, it has different elements to it. I mean, there's a, a salvific element of faith regards to salvation. But as we look at this text this morning, I want to define faith this way. And you have notes, so you can take notes. Feel free to write this down. Faith is putting full confidence that God is in charge. Faith is putting full confidence that God is in charge. So keep that in mind as we kind of dive into the text. So let's read the passage together. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of them to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. When he, when he, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. As I was first reading this text, 
um, two questions immediately came to mind related to Jesus. So I want us to look at those, and then we'll look at Peter's encounter with Christ. The first question is, why does Jesus get rid of everybody? Why does Jesus get rid of everybody? Verse 22 and 23 again. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. I mean, notice right away in 22, the word immediately. There's a sense of urgency here for Jesus. He has just fed the crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children, probably 20,000 people. And the meal is finished. The leftovers are collected. And obviously Jesus does not believe in dessert because there's no dessert coming for the people. He's quick to send the disciples on their way. And he does the thing... He does the thing that will ensure that they will not bother him for a while. He puts them on a boat and sends them onto the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is a smart guy. I think some of you moms are, are thinking of ways, you know, throughout the week, how do I just, you know, get my kids in a safe place where they won't bother me for a while? Don't put them on a boat, but, you know, something else like it. So then Jesus goes ahead and dismisses the crowd gathered. So everybody is gone and Jesus is now free. So what does he do in his moment of freedom? He walks up on a mountainside to get alone and to pray. There's a sense of intentionality for Jesus to get by himself. This is a pattern that we see in Jesus' life. He often withdrew from ministry withdrew from community and isolated himself to get alone with God. If Jesus, the Son of God, needed time alone to prepare and to replenish, how much more do we need times of solitude to get away and just be with God? One of the things I appreciate about Pastor Dave this is, something that, this is something that he values on our staff and that he requires us once a month as pastors to get away and to be alone for a time of solitude with God. And honestly, I think we are foolish people to think that we can thrive in our faith without a rhythm of solitude and getting away regularly with God. So what does this look like in your life these days? I mean, honestly, it could be five minutes in the morning just carved out, just of quiet to be with God. It could be a once a month Saturday morning thing where you just tell your family, I need to get alone for the morning and just be with God. This is important for our faith to get alone. The second question, why did Jesus walk on water? It's a pretty obvious question, but why did he walk on water? Verse 25 says, Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Instead of finding another boat or choosing to walk around the lake, Jesus makes the decision to walk 
on water. I think sometimes we get so familiar with these texts that we, realize, we forget how big of a deal this is. Jesus walked on water. He walked on water. I can't help but think of superheroes when I read about Jesus walking on water. And growing up, my favorite superhero was Superman. And I had the whole costume. I had the, the red cape, you know, the blue tights, uh, the red underwear. Too much detail there. There's a, a picture of me standing on our front porch ledge with my costume on, and I am ready to fly. I mean, what little boy does not want to fly? If a person was able to fly, it would be a big deal. Jesus walking on water is a big deal. And I can't help but wonder, why why did he choose to exercise superhero-like power here? Often when Jesus did miracles or works of wonder, it was to heal people, to bring restoration. And and that seems like a, a pretty good use of power. But walking on water is a whole different type of power. So is Jesus lazy? Is Jesus doing this out of efficiency or convenience? And obviously, he doesn't do this by accident. And we get a clue as to why by the response of the disciples at the end of this passage. When Jesus eventually got into the boat, the text says the disciples worshipped him saying, truly, you are the Son of God. We have seen with our own eyes, we have experienced you. You are the Christ. You are the Lord Most High. To those of you who are married, your spouse knows things about you that no one else does. The good, the bad, and the ugly. If only Yvonne could get up here and tell you the things about me. And in marriage, you have chosen to reveal yourself to one person in a unique and intimate way. And this is what Jesus is doing to his closest friends. He's giving them a preview of what will be made known to all the world in time. That he is the son of God. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of all. He had just multiplied the loaves of bread and the fish, demonstrating he is the Lord of the land. He is the Lord of all people as he gave sight to the blind man and helped the paralytic to walk and even raised dead people to life. And now he's demonstrating that he is master of the wind and water, the ruler of the seas. There's nothing on this earth that he does not have reign over. Jesus walked on water to reveal his true identity to his disciples as the Lord of all. Hang on to this idea of Jesus being the Lord of all. It will be important as we look at Peter. So I want to do that now. I want us to zoom into Peter's encounter with Jesus and focus in on what this teaches us about faith. Does anyone anyone remember the definition of faith I gave earlier? Anybody? 
want to raise their hand? Yeah, faith is full confidence that God is in charge. So I want to make three observations about faith from this passage. The first one is in fear. In fear, faith calls us to put our confidence in the Lord of all. Verse 26 and 27. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. So when Jesus sent the disciples into the boat, he could have given them a heads up. He could have said, hey, guys, just so you know, sometime early in the morning, if you see a figure coming to you on the water, don't worry. It's just me. But Jesus does not do this. So all they can do is respond how probably any of us would respond. They cry out in terror, kind of like me in the floor of the van on Trail Ridge Road. But this is a planned encounter. This is a sovereignly orchestrated moment. Jesus sets this up to uncover the disciples' fear and call them back to himself in faith. And I love these words that Jesus speaks in to their fear. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage. It's not a passive command. It requires action. It demands that we stand up and take hold of faith in the midst of fear. And the source of that strength and confidence comes from Christ, the Lord of all. Then he slips in the phrase, it is I, which references Moses' Moses's encounter with God at the burning bush, where God reveals his name as I am who I am. Jesus is saying, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord of all. This is the one you need to turn to in the midst of your fear. It is I. And he says, don't be afraid. Put away your fear. It has no place when you're putting your confidence in the Lord of all. This fear encounter was a moment for the disciples to learn to put their confidence in Jesus And I've learned over time that God will invite you to face your fear. He doesn't go around your fear. He will attack it. In doing so, he will seek to break down your other sources of confidence and invite you to truly trust him alone. Looking back at my story, one of the things that God has illuminated time and time again is how often I put confidence in financial security. This is one of the struggles I had when God first called me into ministry. How will I provide for myself? And this is an area where God continues to root out my fear and call me to trust him alone. For example, when I was preparing to go to seminary, I was trying to save up as as much money as I could. And I thought what I had was a reliable car at the time, so I thought it would last all four years 
a seminary. Uh, but it was my first semester at Trinity, and I was driving Yvonne home at Thanksgiving night of all nights. We were dating at the time. We're driving down the road, and the, the check engine light came on. And just an encouragement. If the check engine light comes on, you should probably stop the car right away, which I did not do. So it was a minute later, and the car completely died. Uh, the radiator did something which fried the engine. And so I needed a whole new car. Unfortunately, I had enough in savings to purchase uh, a, a used car. But that was just a moment of fear where God kind of knocked out my security blanket. My savings dwindled. And God was trying to root out that source of confidence and money and say, you know what, I will take care of you. I take care of the sparrows and the lilies of the field. How much more will I provide for you? And time and time again, as I've struggled in this area, I've seen God's faithfulness. So if you're putting your confidence in things other than God, don't be surprised if he goes after you. He will do what it takes to pursue you so that you will put your full trust in him. This story is one of many examples where God has called me out of my fear and keeps reminding me that he is the Lord of all. In fear, take courage. Don't be afraid. I wonder how many of us today are struggling with fear. And I believe a next step for you could be to cling to these words of Jesus this week. As you find yourself wrestling with fear, just remember these words. Take courage. It is Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. Don't be afraid. Second point. In the unknown, faith leads us to live adventurously for God. In the unknown, faith leads us to live adventurously for God. Let's be honest, we live in a culture that's always telling us to move towards comfort and safety, to minimize risk and uncertainty. And I love Peter. I mean, Peter, he's not only quick to, to settle down, but he gets in on the action. He responds to Jesus and asks, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. I'm sure the other disciples are looking at Peter and they're like, are you nuts, man? What are you doing? But this is good old Peter, always willing to dive in to a situation. Instead of clinging to the comfort of the boat, Peter takes the courageous step to join Jesus on the water. And Peter is just being a disciple. He wants to follow in his master's footsteps he wants to be with Jesus and to be like Jesus. And, and Jesus simply says to Peter, come, come. And Peter gets out of the boat and joins Jesus on the water. Faith is the confidence to face the unknown and no longer cling to the boats of comfort. And the beauty of this kind of faith is that calls us to be adventurous, to live life on the edge, trusting God alone. 
I think of people in our own Harvest family who are examples of jumping out of the boat to trust God in the unknown. I'll be honest, my wife Yvonne is one of the people that's taught me this the most. After she graduated college, she backpacked Europe for four, four, five, six months by herself, all alone. Then she came over from Australia to the States, not knowing a soul, but sensing God's call to do ministry at a campground in Oregon, Illinois, of all places. She stepped out of the boat of comfort to trust God. And I think of Jenny Bang, who right now is in Haiti. And God has put such a burden on her heart for the people of Haiti that she can't help but step out of the boat and to trust God. And I think of Bob and Angela Kim, who this weekend they're in Tuba City celebrating a graduation ceremony of one of the youth that they've poured their lives into over the years. And this fall, they're going to move to Arizona, and there's a lot of unknowns. But they're stepping out, trusting God, getting out of the boat of comfort and living adventurously for him. Adventurous faith. This is the kind of faith that I want. My guess is many of us are getting far too comfortable. We keep moving towards the familiar, the known, what is safe and certain. And as, as we do this, I believe we are settling for a life that doesn't demand faith. It doesn't demand radical trust in God. Are you in the boat or out of the boat for God when it comes to relationships? Maybe it's your marriage or maybe it's just friendships in general, your community group. But have your relationships grown uh, grown stale and just comfortable? We just feel like every week it's kind of the same old thing. You're not really seeking to love people and to risk, uh, to make yourself known in the dark places, being authentic. Adventurous faith calls us to step out, to trust others and to love them deeply. What about your job? I mean, do you go to work every day and it's kind of the same old thing? It's so easy to just settle into routine. But what would it look like to live adventurously at work? Or even here at church. I mean, coming every Sunday, you get used to the worship, the message. And it's just the same old thing. And maybe you're not even using your spiritual gifts. And you need to just step out and trust God and start serving. May we be adventurous people who step out and trust God. God and get out of our boats of comfort. The third and final point is in failure, faith leads us to not give up. In failure, faith leads us to not give up. Verses 30 and 31, Peter, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Peter takes this bold step, and he's doing so well. But then he starts to see the wind. He starts looking around at the circumstances, and he takes his eyes 
off Jesus. And this is where Peter fails. He took his eyes off the one who's in charge. And he let the circumstances around him dictate his emotions. Peter lost his focus. He lost his confidence in the Lord of all. Don't we too often find ourselves in Peter's shoes? If you haven't figured this out already, you and I, like Peter, will fail in our faith. We will lose sight of Christ and let ourselves be overwhelmed by the circumstances around us. And the question for us is, where are our eyes? Is it on the circumstances around us or on Christ, the Lord of all? So we've been in this process of moving. And yesterday we finally moved. Praise God. It's been, I mean, honestly, it's been like a five-year journey for us, just waiting on God. And I'm just kind of in this mountain-high experience right now, just seeing God's faithfulness. But the last few weeks, it's been a, a busy and chaotic time. And uh, there's been moments where it seemed like this was all going to fall apart. I was sharing with the guys in our community group uh, last week, just I'm, I've been really struggling with fear. There's been moments where I've just paralyzed by fear. And I get so caught up in the circumstances around me that I forget God's, God's in charge. He's going to take care of all this. And I wish there were more moments in the last few weeks, but a few moments where I just stopped back, stepped back, and I prayed. And I just remembered that God is so much bigger than this. He is so much bigger. Why do I continually put confidence in the circumstances around me instead of him? He is the Lord of all. As Peter is sinking, Jesus is is pretty nice. He doesn't let Peter drown. But there's this private moment between the two of them that takes place. And Jesus says to Peter, You of little faith, why did you doubt? You of little faith, why did you doubt? I mean, honestly, we, we read this, and it seems pretty harsh. I mean, of all the disciples, Peter is the only one that gets out of the boat. Come on, Jesus, give the guy a little break. But Jesus does not excuse Peter's lack of faith. He doesn't let him settle. He doesn't say, nice try, buddy, you did good enough. So what is Jesus doing here? Instead of letting Peter settle with failure... He is charging Peter to become the man of faith he knows he can be. He's calling out deep within Peter what Jesus sees in him, the potential and possibility of faith that needs to grow stronger and deeper. And I know when we fail, like we all want to be comforted. I mean, who doesn't want to be comforted in their failure? But deep down, don't we want someone to tell you I know this is not you. You are so much more than this. I see beyond your failure and I believe in you. This is what I think Jesus is doing to Peter. He's calling him to a deeper faith. He's saying, I believe in you. You can be so much more than this. 
I believe in our moments of failure, God is so gracious. He calls us to come back to him and acknowledge how much we need him. In our failure, our faith can grow as we see God's faithfulness and are reminded to not give up, but to keep our eyes fixed on him. I admire Peter a lot. He failed big time. Not only here, but later he denies Jesus three times. But Peter never gives up in his faith. His faith grew through his failure. And he becomes one of the pillars of the early church. This idea of failure is something that I'm very attentive to. I was talking with Pastor Frank about baseball earlier this morning. And I played baseball a lot growing up. When I got to the 7th and 8th grade, I dreaded playing baseball. I was so afraid that I was going to make a mistake. I was so afraid of failure. And so as a dad, this is something that I am very tuned into with my kids. How they deal with failure. Teaching them not to give up. This past week, Joshua and I went bowling. We were getting ready for the Tuba City Bowlathon. I challenge everybody in the family division. Uh, the two of us will be bowling. Next Sunday, 2 to 5 p.m., sign up today in the back. And I don't know what's happened to my son, but the last couple months, this competitive drive is like just oozing out of him. I mean, when we're playing some sort of competitive thing, he's asking, what's the score? Am I winning every minute? And so we were bowling, and he threw a good first ball on a frame. He got nine pins down. And his second ball, he was like, you know, like half an inch from picking up the spare. And he missed it and got so upset that he started crying. He said, I can't do this. And so me as a dad, in those moments, I want to step in, remind him not to give up. You can do this. I believe in you, Joshua. And so the parents, we need to be attuned to our kids in moments of failure. In our community groups, we need to be attuned to people that are struggling with this idea of failure. And how do we respond to them? And I wonder if some of you are, are struggling with this today. This feeling that you are a failure. You might be hanging by a thread with your faith. Because you believe you just disappointed God too many times. And I just want to say, if only you could see how God sees you. If only you could see how he sees you. He sees you beyond your failure. And your sin. He sees you as his treasured son, his precious daughter. I think of Psalm 139 that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knits you together in your mother's womb. He knows you, he sees every moment. And he wants you to become the person he knows you can be through faith in Christ. Don't give up in your failure. Receive God's grace and reclaim your dependence on him alone.
And I think of this, this concept of confidence in God, faith in God, and how it's connected to God's faithfulness. You see, our confidence in God grows as we experience God's faithfulness, as we believe in his character. And I think about these three points in our fear. I mean, God is not afraid. God is not afraid of anything. In the unknown, nothing is unknown to God. He sees and knows everything. In failure, God never fails. God never fails. He is faithful to who he is. And our, our confidence, our faith is rooted in God's faithfulness. And so just to kind of recap here. In fear, we need to transfer our confidence back to God. Back to the Lord of all. And don't forget these words of Jesus. Take courage. It is him, the Lord of all. Don't be afraid. In the unknown, will we step out of our comfort zone and live adventurously for God? This is an area where I, I know there's something in my life that I need to take a step out of the boat of comfort and just trust God in a situation. And in our failure, faith is a confidence to not give up. God is not disappointed. He will pick us back up in his grace. He is charging us to become the men and women he knows we can be. So what is your next step when it comes to confidence in God? What is one area in your life that it's, it's hard for you to put your confidence and trust in him? Is it money? Is it your family? Is it your work? What is that one area where it's a struggle to put your confidence in him? Where are you moving towards safety and comfort? Where are you settling? Where is God calling you to get out of the boat? So I just want to give you a, a few moments just to kind of process and to pray and to really ask God to reveal this to you. Where is your fear? Where is your lack of confidence in him? So just take a couple of minutes to pray now and ask God these questions. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.